took off. Joey, <laughs> come back here. <laughs> Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you, Joey. I mean, it's amazing. It never ceases to amaze me how God continues to bless our, our congregation in, in little ways and small ways. And Joey, you're a blessing to us, and we want you to know that and appreciate everything that you do. It's not easy to stand, and especially with an acoustic guitar. I've done that before. Where you're, you're just kind of you, man. <laughs> And uh, you're kind of exposed there, and uh, but uh, your faithfulness is something you know I appreciate, and it just uh, you know pray praise God and and Reese too back up. I was waiting for some doo wops or something, but oh, that's all they took his mic away. Oh, doggone it! <laughs> well, it is cer- certainly good to be back. I. Uh, uh, Neil and I went on a much-needed vacation. Uh, it's kind of combined with uh, uh, Southeast Camp. Uh, as you know, the Church of God is a it's a national denomination. It's not a very big one, but you know, we have sister churches all over the country. And there's a cluster of them in uh, South Carolina, uh, areas down in that that region. And just like we have Northeast Camp, and all, well, they have a Southeast Camp, and Kayla went to be a counselor to that, and so we went down with that, and while we were down there, uh, uh, we got to visit with some people we hadn't seen in a long time. Kyle was down there, Kyle and Jamie were there, and and uh, it was fun to, to talk to them a little bit and to see them work, and and so we just kind of dumped Kayla off there, and then we took off. We went to see things and do some things we hadn't, hadn't, hadn't done, hadn't seen in that part of the... Of the uh, of the country, and the big thing for me was, I want to see a bear. We we went to North Carolina, and then we we're going to Tennessee. We we're going to the Great Smoky Mountains. I wanted to see a bear, and I was jealous. My son Dustin, he had uh, um, his uh, his girlfriend Rachel lives and works in Tennessee right now in an internship, and he he periodically goes down there and visits. And while he was there, he got to see a bear, and not just like from the car. They were. They just happened to show up at this place, and they're talking, and this bear walks out, like, right in front of them, and he's like, what the... And uh, for people up here, we go down and see a bear, it's like, wow, it's all bear! And people down there are like, yeah, so what? They're all over the place down here. And we got them walking down the middle of the street in Gatlinburg. I don't know if you saw that, but... I mean, to them, it's like, up here, we see a raccoon. It's like, look, look! <laughs> they're like, yeah, big deal, it's just another bear... But I got to see a bear, and I was just thrilled, and and uh, Neil and I did a lot of hiking, and uh, as we're hiking through the mountains, and you know, I'm, I'm looking around every corner, and I'm hearing, you know, a bear's going <laughs> to pop out or something, but but I actually, I got to see a couple of bears, and that was cool. The first one we saw was, he plopped down in the middle of a raspberry patch, just chowing down on raspberries, and and every car for... Five miles, I think it stopped to take pictures of the bear, and the park rangers were like, "Stay back, stay back." And, but it was to me, it was a really cool thing. And uh, we, where we saw him, was at a place called Cades Cove, which is in the Great Smoky Mountains, and it's really a, just a wonderful place. And as you go around Cades Cove, there are different. Uh, 
all historical stops, you know, as a history guy, you know, I was like, yeah, this is cool. Here are the, the settlers, the, the, the first people into Cades Cove, and, and there were some old cabins, and you could see where they had created a little uh, community. Uh, there were a couple of different churches. And there was this one church in particular. It was, a, it was an old Methodist church. And as we pulled up, there was a whole group of kids that were there. And I don't know if it was like a youth group or probably more like a school group or you know, some sort of camp thing. I'm not sure. But anyway, there were a bunch of kids coming out. And this one kid... He walks out of the, the the churchyard there, and he goes, you know, they were just kind of talking about the church, and this this kid's like, yeah, there's that church in there, an old church, and this kid goes, yeah, I have a cousin who goes to church, and the kid looked at him kind of like, really? Wow, you, you have a cousin, he really goes to church? He goes, yeah, he's and it was just funny how they said it, it was like, It'd be like me saying, look, I have a cousin who raises earthworms. <laughs> People would go, really? Wow, that's neat. You know, good for him. Kind of weird. But during my trip, I kept in close contact with my students, uh, people here at church, some of my friends, and I do that through social media and stuff. And You know, social media, you, if you can't beat it, join it. So I've decided to use some of that for you know, to, in positive ways, and and it's interesting uh, as you talk to people, and if you've ever been on social media and, and have read posts, or maybe you've posted in Twitter or done different things with that, I have noticed a severe degeneration in civility and language and morality and, uh, and, and discourse over just the last few years. It's been on kind of on a slide ever since the Internet was introduced and the idea that you could get on there and be somewhat anonymous, that kind of took away that restraint of, uh, you know, you know from, from you keeping you from saying what you really want to say. Man, people just let it out now on there, and, and away we go, and... and uh, but some of the, the kids, especially, that I've kept up with from, from high school, the kids that I've taught, just the, the language that they use, the, the, the use of curse words that, that are used just as a normal course of language. Uh, used to be, a, 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 of course, curse words are, you know, the Bible, you know, God does not like that kind of stuff. Um, it's not befitting of a Christian, but it's probably something we've all at times have done. I know I've done it. I, sometimes I still do it. I was working in the garden, and I busted my hand on something, and I proceeded to utter a, a phrase that probably blew a hole in the ozone layer. You know, My daughter, Kayla, she always likes, she, if she hears me with something like that, she'll go, yeah. My pastor, he says this, and I'm like, ah, oh, don't say that, you know. <laughs> so just as a reminder, to, you better watch it there, buddy. And uh, But people use these words just in the, the casual sense of, of conversation. Kids use the F word and other crude remarks very casually and within normal communication. And while I was away, there was a great argument, a great, great debate I mean, that, that kind of broke out among the kids. 
Um, I'm not sure if it's this month or last month, but it's Pride Month, Gay Pride Month, which was a, a big deal for the gay community. And um, one of the kids said something about, well, this is what the Bible says, and, and homosexuality is wrong. Oh, my goodness, that kid got blasted online, just blasted. Uh, most kids in the what I call the I generation, today's high school kids, maybe young college kids, people who grew up with an iPhone in their hands and the, you know that whole generation, they've become to socialize, to accept, just as an example, I'm not picking on gays today, but the gay lifestyle is, is simply a, a, a simple expression of love. Those who question the morality of its practice are quickly labeled bigots. You bigot you. Who are you to tell me or to tell these people what love is? One kid pointed out, look, the, I'm, I'm just saying what the Bible says, that gay marriage would be wrong. Look out, man, that kid got blasted. This kid was a bigot. You're uncaring. You're judgmental. You're a jerk. You're a nutty Christian, clearly motivated by hate. And you know, it's really not surprising. The Supreme Court ruled in June of 2015, same-sex marriage is legal. Now, I have to make a distinction, this is just me, uh, between marriage and the idea of holy matrimony. Legal, uh, marriage as a legal term, well, you know, as an American, we have equality of rights. And if gay people want to get married... Fine, you know, I think gay people ought to experience divorce and <laughs> heartache and fighting with your spouse just like the rest of us. If you really want to go down that road, you, you go for it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as far as holy matrimony, as far as what God intended, it's a little bit different. When the Supreme Court ruled in June 2015 that same-sex marriage was legal, Snickers, candy bars... I love Snickers. They tweeted out a picture of a rainbow-wrapped candy bar inscribed, stay who you are. I think the White House uh, lit up in uh, rainbow colors. AT&T turned its globe logo to, to rainbow hues. American Airlines tweeted, we're on board. Diversity strengthens us all. And today we celebrate marriage equality. It's not surprising that young Americans see embracing marriage equality almost as a requirement. Kids today, for the most part, expect equality, and they're surprised, they're shocked, they're outraged at times when they see things that they consider, this is prejudice. How dare you judge these people? For most kids, their attitude towards sexuality and marriage is, who cares? not affecting me, so why should I worry about it? Why should anybody else worry about it? Well, the same attitudes are influencing young people's views on religion as well. I looked at some research, from it's called the Pew Research Group. They do scientific studies, uh, surveys and things with church-related information. 
And I'm, I'm interested in this. I teach sociology at school, so I'm interested in you know, society and culture. For a very long time, American religion maintained a very stable participation rate. Now, we're just talking about the American Christian church here. Okay, no particular congregation, just the, the whole church. Okay, people like to say America is a Christian nation. I beg to differ on that. I don't think we're Christian at all. But during the 1970s, approximately 85% of prime family building age adults, that's 25 to 34, that, that age group, they attended some religious service. Now, the... Uh, the qualification for that is if you went to at least one service a year. So the bar's not too high there. If you just show up once a year, well, you participated. And in, 19, in the 70s, it was about uh, 85%. Today, it's approximately 66%. In 77 90% of young adults, that's college-age kids, identified as being part of a religion. 90%. Today, that's about 65%. We're seeing a continual slide, degeneration, in the amount of American people who want to be involved in the church, want to be involved with, with religion, of going to church. And there are a couple of reasons for this, they think. First of all, more today... Um, more iGens, or, or young kids today, they're being raised in non-religious households. The more non-religious households we have, the less likely those kids are going to be involved at church. Statistics show that at about the end of the 8th grade, that tends to be the, I guess, the sweet spot there, uh, kids begin to shed their religious skins, and, and a lot of them will lose it forever. About eighth grade is about where we're, we're talking about. That's the the area there. And I, it's, I believe by 2050, if we project out another 30 years or so, uh, statistics show it, there will probably be less than 50% of Americans will attend church at least once per year. Christianity is not the fastest growing religion in the world. It is no longer the largest religion in the world. Islam has, has overtaken it, and it continues to grow. Kids today see religion as being intolerant. It's bigoted. It's filled with rules, and it restricts their individualism. Individualism is a big part of, of youth culture. It always has been, but especially for kids today. For kids today, it's about them. And that, that really, it really bums me out as somebody who's tried to maintain some connection with God, you know, more successful sometimes than others. You know, it hurts me to see that so many people would reject God. And I fret over the state of the world, the future of the church, what is going on, and it bums me out. It stresses me out that we can't talk to people and, and point out that, you know, in say, gay marriage, for example, to point out, look, I think this is probably something that's not biblically correct. All of a sudden, I'm judged as a bigot. The Bible does not call us to judge people, but it does call us to discern between good and evil, between right and wrong. 
To make discernment is not judging people. Judgment involves uh, punishment. But to discern behaviors, and look at the Bible. How does this compare with what God says? Discernment is not bigotry. It's wisdom. So I get bummed out about this, and you know, I ask myself, is this, you know, are we really seeing the, the, the ending of the American church? What's going to happen? I don't think America will ever totally shed its Christian heritage and its background. But I do think the Bible tells us that we're seeing some things happening, some things coming to fruition that the Bible made clear would happen. Let's look at a church from the Bible who is struggling with some of the same things that we're struggling with, that I struggle with, and that's the church at Thessalonica. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Thessalonians. That's where we're going to be here. 2 Thessalonians, it's a... I don't know too many people that preach out of that book or that letter, but we're going to look at it today. So as Fred Pencil used to tell me, turn to your T's in the New Testament. You'll find it in there somewhere. The, find the T's. And you'll find 2 Thessalonians. And Now Paul, of course, 2 Thessalonians, this is his second letter to the church. He'd already sent him one letter. He'd been there, established the church, had talked to him had made uh, contact with them before, but some things happened now. He's going to send another letter to these people. And apparently some false doctrine had crept into the church. And the people were getting very disorderly in their their behaviors. They were getting confused. They didn't know what was going on. Kind of like us today. Oh, what are we going to do? You know, Everything's falling apart. What are we going to do? I, I sat here and looked out at the beginning of church. Hardly, uh, I counted 38 of us. The first thing that struck me in my heart was, oh, here we go. We, we held in there as long as we could, but let me tell you, we're losing them fast now. And it, it worries me. But I think what Paul's going to tell the Thessalonian church is something he would tell me today. He would tell us today. Anyways, apparently false doctrine had crept into the church. The people were upset. They were worried. What's going on? Things are not working the way that they're supposed to. And one of the things that the people of Thessalonica were really dealing with was the idea of suffering. These people were being beaten for their faith. They're being beat up. They're being harassed by other groups around them. And let's pick it up here. 2 Thessalonians... Chapter 2, now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? What's going on here? 
frankly, you know, to make it, uh, to boil it down, these people thought that they had missed out on uh, what I believe uh, the rapture. They, they, Paul had told them, if you read 1 Thessalonians, look, the day is coming uh, before the great day of the Lord. <clears throat> there will be a gathering together and, and you know, the believers will be plucked out and the, you know, will join the, the, uh, um, uh, the believers who have died and will be with the Lord forever. And then would come this time of lawlessness. Well, things were getting pretty hot in Thessalonica. And there was a lot of confusion. A lot of people were like, maybe we missed it, guys. Man, I mean, we're getting harassed. We're getting beat up. We're getting kicked around. We can't even agree on what the real message is anymore. We got false teachers telling us one thing. Who knows what to believe? Maybe, maybe we missed out. Maybe the, the, that all happened and we, we, we got left behind. They were worried about that. And Paul writes them a letter. He says, look, guys, relax. That hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened. Someone within the church had been scaring them with stories that they'd, they'd missed it. They'd missed out. You missed the rapture. Now you're going to have to suffer judgment. Now, I have to admit, I come from a, a type of theology that's called uh, premillennial belief. I think the church will be raptured from the earth before the tribulation times. That's, that's me. There are many people who say, no, 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 no. He, the church is, we're going through the tribulation, and right at the end, that's when you can get into all that stuff. Um, they love to talk about that at the Bible college and stuff. And it's fascinating. The problem is nobody ever gets saved when you talk about stuff like that. So it's just an intellectual type of thing. And, but anyways... Here you have a church that's, they're upset. They're frightened. They're scared. They don't know what to believe. And Paul is writing to them, trying to reassure them, no, you guys have not missed out. The current state of things, they are just the way they're supposed to be. Paul reminds them of these details that he had shared previously. The day of the Lord is coming. That's a day of judgment on the earth. But it's not going to occur until some other things take place. In this case, he mentions a specific event called the apostasy or the rebellion. Some, some very rebellious event is going to happen. This Boom, that's going to usher in a time of real tribulation, real nastiness. Let's pick it up in verse 6. And you know what restrains him now? It restrains who? Well, if you look back up there in 1 through 5, apparently somebody's coming or something's happening. There's going to be a great rebellion against God before this day of the Lord. But right now, something's restraining that from happening. It's like, like a gate's been set up. I mean, you guys can't come in yet. Just, just hold on. There's something restraining this time. So that in his time he will be revealed, verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now whatever that restraining thing is, we don't know. There's a lot of debate. Some people believe, look, as long as the church is in the world, 
that time of judgment can happen. It's the church that's that restraining force. Other people believe it's the Holy Spirit. Other people believe it's some government. Some, there are a lot of opinions about it. But something is there that's restraining this time of judgment. God has put something in place to, you know, to keep us safe. That doesn't mean that we're not going to go through times of, of rebellion. Verse 8, then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring an end by the appearance of his coming. That's Jesus. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness and on and on it goes. Basically what Paul is saying here, gang, is look, yes, there is a time coming when uh, you're going to have this great rebellion against God. There are times I wake up in the morning, I turn on the news, and I think, holy cow, how could we get any more rebellious? But Paul would point out, everything is just the way it's supposed to be. When I get upset and I see these kids who just reject religion and, and, and look at Christians and say, you guys are a bunch of bigots, and, and it hurts my feelings, and it... I worry about it, you know, this, this general sense of lawlessness, this sense of falling away from the things of the church. The Bible makes it clear, don't be shocked at these things. This stuff's going to happen. Today, God is still holding back this coming judgment, and it is coming. But even today, the Bible makes it clear that this spirit of Antichrist, as the Bible calls it, it's already in operation. The man, the actual historical figure, somebody called the Antichrist, he will come someday. And you haven't seen rebellion until this guy shows up. But he hasn't come yet. But the Bible makes it clear that the spirit of the Antichrist that general rebellious attitude that kind of fuels that whole thing, it's already alive and well here in the world. Flip over to 1 John chapter 2. I like 1 John. Um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. This is in a part of the letter where John's, uh, he's warning the reader here, <coughs> don't love the things of the world. Anyways, verse 18. Children, it's the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so that it would be shown that they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth. And it goes on, and you know, who's the liar? No, it's the one who denies Jesus is the Christ. That's the spirit of Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. And he goes on and, and points out that throughout history there have been false teachers 
who have distorted the gospel of Christ. The spirit, this spirit, this attitude, this general rebellion and battle against the church and the things of God have continued since the crucifixion, since the resurrection of Christ. There's been a battle going. The spirit of rebelliousness against God, against the things of God, against his church. And John goes on and he points out there are three things that, that really demonstrate this. And within his, his little group he was reading, he talks about false teachers. You can read 1 John later if you want. He talks about people who deny the faith, that's sound doctrine, and deceiving the faithful. These three things are going to happen and will continue to and have always happened to try to knock us off course like the Thessalonian church, to get them all shook up. There are people who are going to be among us, among our world, who are false teachers that will tell you things that are not true. Oh, it sounds good. Money, fame. You know, I may not be able to buy happiness, but I can buy a boat big enough to sail right up to it. You know, you know that kind of attitude. There are people who will deny sound doctrine. The Bible is a fortress against evil. Many kids today, many kids that I've talked to, when you talk to them about the Bible, they'll t they love the parts of the Bible that talk about love and forgiveness. And those are important. But nobody wants to talk about repentance, judgment, Nobody wants to mention those types of things. We have to maintain the idea of sound doctrine. The word doctrine puts me to sleep. Doctrine, here we go. More Bible stuff. That Bible stuff, the truth, will set you free. And then the idea of denying the faithful. John, in 1 John, he goes into that and he talks about that. But in 1 John chapter 2, Verse uh, 25, God has not left us to just flounder around in, in our misery. Okay, uh, When I get up in the morning and I look at the state of the world and the state of our country and the state of the church, I can get pretty bummed out. But God has not left me alone to deal with that just myself. Verse 25, this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you, deceiving those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. What is this anointing? It's the Holy Spirit. You have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you abide in him. And on it goes. The Holy Spirit protects the believer from all of these deceptions. If you're plugged into the gospel, if you're a Christian, if you uh, have uh, submitted to the Lord and you're trying to grow in your faith to him, the Holy Spirit will become alive in you. The power of God will help you to see the truth, to sift out all the nonsense. It will help you to discern good from evil, without being judgmental. 
Perhaps the Holy Spirit is this apparatus in which God is restraining this, this coming of the, this Antichrist. You know, we live in a society that denies the faith and sound doctrine. For instance, kids today say, you're supposed to love everyone. The Bible says you're supposed to love everybody. You're not supposed to judge people. Jesus said, don't judge. They take that and they run with it. But that's not the end of the story. There's more to it. We're seeing a general denial of sound doctrine. We're only taking parts of the scriptures and applying that without looking at the full total picture. So let's look back at Thessalonica here. Here you've got a church. It's all shook up. What should we do when we see the moral decay around us? What should I do when I flip on the news? What should I do when I come to church and there's 30 people here? Pray. Turn back to the things of God. Paul makes it very clear. If we go back to 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13, Paul begins his advice to the church on how to deal with this stuff. Let me start there. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. Through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth, it was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we do then? So then, brethren, stand firm. Stand firm. Firm. Hold on. It says, uh, oh, where'd it go? Yeah, stand firm. Stand firm. I looked up the Greek phrase for that. because It caught my eye. The Greek word is stiketi. Stiketi. Which, you know, it's Greek to me. You know, stiketi. So, and literally it means to stand firm. To persevere. To refuse to be moved. Jimmy and I coach football. One of the greatest things you can have is a nose guard or a defensive tackle who stands firm. He refuses to be moved. Those kids are a pain. You want to run a play, they're just boom. They're not moving. You can't block them. You can't push them out of the way. They're just right there. They're dug in. This is my ground. I'm not moving. Standing firm. Paul would tell us today, church, yes, there's a general decay going on in society. There are people abandoning the church. There are people who want nothing to do with the church. There are people who look at the church and see us as a bunch of bigots. What should you do? Stand firm. Don't freak out. Don't do something you shouldn't do. In football, those tackles, doggone it, they, they'll run upfield. They'll spin around. They'll do something they shouldn't do. They get blown out of there and look out. But it's the guys who stand firm. Those are the ones who make the plays. And God is telling us, yes, the world is, is in decay. But I've told you these things. You're going to have troubles in the world. You're going to have trouble within your church. Don't freak out. Stand firm. 
First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. As we see the world continue to decay around us, remember that God calls us to stand firm. The, the church of God, the universal church, is not just here in America. You, you realize that? The Christian church is around the world. When we enter into the kingdom, there are going to be Africans there, there are going to be people from South America there, there are going to be Asians there. And they're going to, their whole church experience, it, it's not going to be like ours. But yet we all love and worship the same God. There are great things happening today in the church in Africa. And in South America. I don't know if you saw the picture. Remember the fellow that was here about a month ago? I forgot his name. Really nice guy. He was a missionary. And he kind of told us a story. And said, I saw some pictures on Facebook. They were posting pictures. He was baptizing people in a bathtub. What have I done for Christ? I went to the Smoky Mountains and saw a bear. And it was a religious experience. What's this guy doing? He's, he went to Peru and he's baptizing people in a bathtub. The church is on the move in places other than the United States. African believers often look at the U.S. and they question our beliefs and our morals. My dad is an elder, uh, lay leader in the, in the Methodist church. And uh, there's been an explosion in uh, Africans who are joining the Methodist Church. They have a, a big missionary group in Africa. There are a lot of Africans who are joining the, the Methodist Church. So many of them, uh, now when they go to their like national conferences and they start to talk about national policy and national elections for bishops and things, the Africans are like, don't we get a vote in this? We're, we're part of the Methodist Church. And a lot of the Americans are like, well, I guess. And a lot of the African believers are like, no offense, what's wrong with you Americans? A lot of the things that you're, you're doing, it's not in the Bible. You told us to, to love God that the Bible was the word of God and we believed it and we read it. And now here you guys are doing things in, in your churches that are, it's not in the Bible. What's the matter with you? In Africa, God is on the move. You know, but we don't live in Africa, do we? We don't live in South America. We live right here in Northridge, Ohio. We live here in Clark County. As we see what's happening here in our own community, God is asking us to stand firm. Resist false teaching. Resist straying from the word of God. Young people, I know that high school is a tough time. It's for the first time in your life you begin to feel temptation. You begin to understand that things don't always go your way. That you're not totally special like you thought you were. That creates incredible stress. 
God is calling you to stand firm. Do not stray from the gospel. Don't be tempted to buy into what the world offers. Stand firm. One of the greatest challenges for me as I wrap this up, somebody who has a, have a master's degree, uh, I've thought about getting my doctoral degree if I ever had time and money. Um, I don't say this to glory in it, but I'm a pretty well-educated person. Okay, And one of the things that has always caused me to stumble is the age-old science versus religion. I read things in the Bible and I go, scientifically, that's impossible. And it's tripped me up. It's messed up my faith at times. I read the account of Genesis and I go, how is that possible? Science has proven all of these things. How does it happen? God asked me, stand firm. Stand firm. One of my heroes growing up was Billy Graham. I know some people don't like Billy Graham. He often would say things that you know would tick people off and think. But but Billy Graham to me was he was a great person. And he brought a lot of people to Christ. Some uh you know, how deeply did these people really join? A lot of people who made that commitment of faith, a lot of them left later and, and that whole thing, but there's a story that he, uh, he told one time that really struck with me and, and has stuck with me ever since. This is just recently that I, that I heard this story. And he, uh, he said, I was having problems believing some of the things in the Bible and it was causing a lot of tension in my life. I'm like, yeah, I can relate to that. And he said, it got so bad, I finally just went out in the pasture, in the big cow pasture, there was a stump, and I took my Bible, and I just finally threw it down on the thing and said, there it is, God. I don't understand it, but I, I'm going to accept it. It doesn't jive with a lot of my beliefs. It, right now, it, it doesn't make any sense. There are parts of it that I don't understand. There are parts of it that seem unfair, but it's your word. I submit to that and to you. And from the rest of my life, I'm going to stand firm on this book, this Bible. And for the rest of his life, you know, love him or hate him, uh, he was a man who believed in the power of the Bible and, and of the Word of God. And he lived his life and made no apologies for it. When we went to the Billy Graham Library during our uh, little vacation, there was uh, clips of Billy Graham uh, debating people like Johnny Carson. Uh, Woody Allen was just giving it to him. And, you know, here's Billy trying, very patiently trying to, you know, explain the gospel once again, you know. And, and it was just, uh, you know, again and again, people were like, how can you believe this stuff? I mean, this is a fairy tale. Very patiently, he, would, he went back to the Bible and he said, this is the word of God. This is what I believe. I will stand firm on this. 
Like one of my favorite stories of my grandma to wrap up when, uh, when she uh, accepted Christ as a teenager, all her brothers thought she was nuts. And they laughed at her and just laughed. And you got to remember, she wasn't Church of God of Abrahamic faith, of course. I think they were Baptist or whatever, but she, one day she was leaving, going to church, and they were just laughing at her. She turned around and said, you boys can go to hell if you want to, but I'm going to heaven. And she walked right on out the door, and the rest of her life, she lived her life as a Christian. I didn't care. You can laugh all you want. I'm standing firm. So when you look at the church, the state of our country, the state of Northridge, What's going on right here at church? Oh my, we're getting a new pastor soon. Stand firm. Stand firm. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I'm so happy to be back and to, to share with my friends and to celebrate and worship you, God. And it's my prayer, Lord, that as we move forward as a country, as a people, as a church, and and as a, a, a little group here in Northridge, Ohio, that you would help us and remind us to stand firm on these promises. Everything around us is going crazy, but you told us it would. But you've also asked us, just stand firm, guys, stand firm. Father, we love you today, and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.